Special shout out to someone who start this week's edition of Goss on the Go first. NFL Draft Party Godzilla Media is going to be out live for this year's NFL Draft at Hooters of Albany. Make sure to check them out on Instagram, Hooters of Albany. We will be out live giving away prizes. If you haven't heard yet, here's the deal for the NFL Draft Party. Again, Thursday, April 29th, Hooters of Albany, Wolf Road. The deal is this. Go online, GodzillaMedia.com. If you're out of the area or if you maybe just want to get an extra pick in you, that's cool too. Top 10. We're going to be giving away prizes throughout the entire night. Online, we're going to have two winners, first and second, the most out of the top 10. And then there at Wolf Road throughout the night. Let's say you think maybe, I don't know, Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick. You and whoever else gets it right will be entered for a chance to win a prize for that pick. And then two, and then three. So you've got 10 chances to win the entire night if you get it right. And we're talking about Hooters Wings, which are so good. The Daytona Beach, the hot, breaded amazing some beer specials as well going on that night as well and some gear so if you're looking for those godzilla media t-shirts we've got those that are going out on draft night so shout out to dan ricky the entire service staff over there aaron jara everybody shout out to hooters of albany we're going to be there on draft night also really excited to announce our new partnership with doghouse check them out in clifton park so excited to be a part of this going on Throughout the spring and the summer, we got Trivia Tuesdays. Godzilla Media is going to be there every single Tuesday. Me, Goss, live in person every single Tuesday at Doghouse in Clifton Park. We're going to have some fun, especially with the weather changing. It's getting nicer and nicer. It's free to play. Seven, eight. You know, I love my trivia. Love hosting it. And now we've partnered with Doghouse to make it happen. So check us out Tuesdays at Doghouse in Clifton Park every single Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Free to play. Movies, music. TV, a little bit of everything, a little mix. Make sure to join it. One of my favorite spots I found about 2021. Good things going on with Ben, Maya, the whole crew over there. Love everything happening at Doghouse. So happy we were able to form this partnership with Doghouse. Trivia Tuesdays, come join us. And one other thing, shout out to the crew over the Tipsy Moose. Looking forward to sharing more about this partnership coming up next week. Special shout out to my guy, Andrew, who is hanging out at the Tipsy Moose, doing some things. He's in a sling. Still wanted to make sure to come over and say he loves the podcast and love everything I'm doing right now and everything that's happening at Godzilla Media. Shout out to Andrew and the crew at Tipsy Moose. Looking forward to sharing more information about that partnership next week. So with all that being said, let's go. Goss in the go. All the sports you need this week in a nice, tidy 40 minutes. You're going to notice the theme of this week's podcast kind of reminds me of that old This Is Sports Center commercial with Scott Van Pelt. At former Philadelphia Philly, Jimmy Rollins. If you don't remember the commercial, here it is. Now, uh, look right here. You showed it. You're dipping it. Really? What concerns me is this motion here. Yeah, the posture is good, isn't it? Is that bad? It's not good. I don't even know where to begin with this one. That was a, that was a poor effort. Eventually, the great ones always figure it out. I'm embarrassed. Especially that line. Is that bad? It's not good. Is that bad? It's not good. That's kind of how it feels at Santa basketball. If you haven't been following what's going on with the Saints, their top three scores from last season are no longer with the program. Manny Camper is gone. Jordan King is gone. And the big news that broke last week, Jalen Pickett, an NBA draft prospect, didn't decide to go to the league, instead decided to come back to Siena. MAC Player of the Year. One of the best players in that conference over the past three seasons. Now, Jalen Pickett has decided he's going to leave the program, enter the transfer portal. What's it mean for Siena? It means Coach Carmen's going to have to work a little bit harder to find some players for the program, but he was able to do that pretty fast. 
Colby Rogers from Cal Poly, Anthony Gaines from Northwestern, both joining Siena for the upcoming season. We're talking about five, six players shifting in and out of the program. But Siena, it's not as easy as plug and play, is it? Like, when you lose a conference player of the year, we're talking about NBA draft prospects at the MAC level. Is it as simple as next man up? Is a cliche fit like that? At this moment, it's hard for me to believe that. And that's not a shot at Coach Karm or Skinner or anybody else. That's just sports in general. When you have so much success with a certain team and a makeup and a chemistry of players, and you're able to win back-to-back regular season championships, and all of a sudden you say, all right, all these guys are out, these guys are in, we're going to do it again. That's so difficult to do. Sienna's going to have challenges on the way, and I know Sienna fans are probably wondering, what could Coach Karm have done? You have the Mac Player of the Year coming back. Couldn't you find a way to get him to stay one more time? Remember, Pickett almost left when Coach Carm took the job. Jamie and Christian was the coach. There was a real possibility Pickett was going to leave then. But Coach Carm was able to find a way to make him stay. My thought, and I don't have this confirmed, but it seems very likely that someone said something to Pickett and got in his ear and said, you know what, let's give this last season a shot at a bigger level. Nothing personal against Siena. But he may have just said, all right, I want to play for a Power 5 school. I want to get an opportunity to showcase my skills at a higher level. And that goes to this next thing involving the transfer portal. I've heard so many different takes about the transfer portal, how it's ruining college basketball, how it's become free agency at the college level. It's not as bad as we think. It's actually better than we think, except it's college, and we don't want to give them the credit for what's going on. Think about it like this. A lot of people may not be the biggest NBA fans in the world, but they find the offseason so fascinating when LeBron goes to the Lakers and these big-time trades happen and the Clippers and the Nets and all these teams for the past five to ten years start loading up on talent. It is more intriguing, the NBA offseason, than a lot of weeks during the regular season. So we glorify that. The NFL free agency period. Oh, my God, it almost takes over March Madness at times. And the NFL contracts are ridiculous because you'll see a guy sign a big deal and be gone in a year. So we glorify that. MLB free agency, guys are getting $300 million contracts. $300 million contracts. So we talk about that leading up to the season. So we have all these great moments in this focus on these players making moves professionally. College guys aren't even getting paid. And the women the same way. Nobody's getting paid at this level. Someone argued maybe behind the door, but that doesn't matter. What I'm talking about is that the transfer portal gives college athletes the opportunity to put themselves in a better position for the future. College coaches can do it. College administrators can do it. College SIDs and others can move how they want to. Even college students who aren't athletes can transfer for whatever they want if their credits are accepted. But we're not going to let the college student athlete do that. Coaches hate it. I know they do because coaches can't win either way. Let's say you're Siena. Let's say you're UAlbany, a mid-major program. Your player does really well. Okay, you got it right. You nailed the recruit. But you get the Joe Cremos, the David Nichols, and now the Jalen Pickett's who want to go to the next level. How about if you get it wrong? How about if you get a kid who maybe is not ready for the Division I level? And I'm not trying to pick on this kid, but it's happened. Luke Sutherland, West Genesee kid, played at Siena, played at Bryant, now going to Lemoyne. Look, Sutherland couldn't find minutes at either school because both schools were very successful. Siena and Bryant, both on the real edge there of being NCAA tournament teams, it's hard to find your footing. So college coaches can't win either ways. Other people will look at this and say it hurts the sport because you can't follow the individual athlete. The athletes are all about themselves. And that's a bad thing. Why? 
if you were in that same spot and you had the opportunity and one opportunity to put yourself to chase after your dream of playing professional sports, wouldn't you do the same thing? Coaches will continue to add that, guys, it's not fair because freshmen don't always get on the court. If we talked to Coach Josh Pelletier or Brian Bury, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I'm sure they would say something along the lines of, what end of the days where you just fought for the minutes and you busted your butt in practice? It's exactly right. However, that world isn't happening anymore. College athletes don't have to do this. I had a conversation with my pal Chet Davis, and we're going to get to one of his cuts here in a second, that it's almost like jobs. That if you are in your place of employment, you just can't quit when you feel like you can go jump to another job. Well, maybe not, but maybe yes. If your services and skill set is wanted by another company, and in this case, another school, you can do it. The transfer portal is putting better players at better programs, and we're going to see their showcase to skills. And for some of the other players, they have to move down a level. Yes, it's selfish. Yes, it's players looking out for their own well-being. But I can't criticize that because if I was put in that same spot, yes, I'd love my teammates and my school, but you get one shot to do this. Like Eminem and 8 Mile, seize the opportunity and see what you can do for your future. Put yourself in the best spot when you're 22 or 23 for what may be a professional job in the future in the craft that you want. I thought the Siena news was going to be the biggest news in the capital region one week from when we taped last time, but that is not the case. It's been the news involving the Albany Empire. For some of you, we might have to just go over this a little bit. So capital region fans, just bear with me for about 30 seconds here. Arena football is a big deal in the capital region. Arena Bowl champions, the Albany Empire, the Albany Firebirds with touchdown Eddie Brown, Antonio Brown's dad from back in the 90s. It's a big deal here in the capital region. Now, what happened if you missed it, the Arena League folds after the 2019 season. The Empire win the championship. They don't have the opportunity to lift the banner of the rafters and do the ring ceremony and everything else. Because of a situation involving a lawsuit, and you can look up at this information, the league folds. Now, the NAL buys the rights, the jerseys, everything else, basically the likeness and image, because we just came off a college topic. Let's just do that to sum it up, of the Albany Empire. And we're set to see this season kick off in May. And look at this. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, how about that nice picture of me and LeVac on the field after the Arena Bowl? Well, uh, can we play that Jimmy Rollins, Scott Van Pelt cut again? Is that bad? It's not good. Yeah, and that's in reference to the head coach of the team, Rob Keefe, leaving less than eight weeks before kickoff. Eight days before that, the assistant coach, Les Boss, has left the team. So if you're keeping track at home or score at home, maybe you're doing that during the White Sox no-hitter the other day. Shout out to Jason Benetti with a great call as always. The Albany Empire right now don't have a head coach, an assistant coach. They have 10 players on the roster. You can only have about 3,000 fans because of the situation of Governor Cuomo, so you're limited there. They've got a lot of obstacles still in their way. And a lot of people in the capital region have reacted and saying they got to make changes. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing a lot of criticism, unfortunately, has come to this no ownership group. And I say, unfortunately, because we got to have some faith in people. There's a lot of bitterness, it seems like. And I don't know if that's just Albany unique, but it seems as if people are just really mad. And I bring up Albany unique because the capital region has seen a lot of their pro teams move, whether it is the Albany Empire from the first time, the second time. The Albany Devils, we can go up and down the list of things that have moved out of the capital region. 
Is it the fans that feel like they're bitter because it's not going to work? Is it people who used to work for the Albany Empire who feel like, well, I don't own the team. I don't do this. I don't do that. There are people who may not be associated with the team that don't want it to succeed. I can't speak to that, but it feels like it's just bitterness across the capital region. And wash that away. It's the worst thing to have happen is that you're holding grudges with people. I have faith in this new ownership group, and I feel like I'm in the minority on this. Think about this. This ownership group, they're smart people when it comes to business. They were the ones who bought the likeness of the Albany Empire. They were the ones who owned this. They're the ones who got them in the NAL. There's a lot of steps that took place to get the Albany Empire back on the field. Oh, by the way, remember, there was thoughts that this team wasn't going to kick off in 2021 because, of again, Governor Cuomo and fans and everything else, and financially, was it the right decision? So have a little bit of faith. The sky is not falling. The house is not on fire. There is going to be a percentage of fans, and I feel so confident in this, that no matter what I say on this podcast, no matter what's happening in the news, the newspapers, radio, they may ignore all of that and just see Albany Empire and say, I'm going to the game. You could call that getting fooled, but I don't know if that's the right term to use. Just imagine if you know some people that if you were told the New York Yankees were going to show up and play in your respective city, oh, I love the Yankees. I'm going to the game. They may not know a player. They may not even know it's the real Yankees or quote unquote, the fake Yankees, however you want to describe that. But if they see a brand, an identity, they'll go on and cheer on that team no matter what because they know it's the Yankees. It's a high comparison here for the Empire, but I think you understand my point. They may not care about behind-the-scenes nonsense. If you get arena football back in the capital region, people will support the team again. And you've only got to hit basically 20% of capacity. You're going to hit that. Look, any type of person, whether it's a first-time job, a first-time student, If you're doing something for the first time, you're going to make mistakes. And this ownership group may look back and say, okay, maybe we don't do that. Maybe we don't do this. We're learning on the fly here. Some stuff is going to be positive. Some is going to be negative. As long as they recognize that, they'll be fine. I have faith in this Albany Empire ownership group. Everyone thinks everything's going to go poorly. I have faith because they're smart business people running this. And the Albany Empire has become so much more popular over the last three, four years because people care about the product here in the Capital Region. They'll be fun. I'm excited to see what happens for this franchise and the fan base come next month. Oh, and by the way, I'm not doing the Albany Empire yet. Maybe there's one other thing they should add to this. I'll send it over to my guy, Colin Taylor, audio and video courtesy of CBS 6. I could guarantee a comeback if LeVac and Gaz would give you boys some time on the field with them running around and throwing those t-shirts out and doing all the giveaways. I, again, still think they had the coolest job in, in the business doing that. There you go, my guy CT right there. Much love to CT, man. Who knows? Maybe in the future that can happen again. Every sports talk host is losing their mind this week about the Julian Edelman thing. And I'm talking about his retirement and whether or not he's a pro football Hall of Famer. I'm not going to dive too deep into that. I'm just going to answer a few questions. One, people have been wondering, I know Big Cat on Barstool said this, who in the world was the person who first suggested this? It's Adam Schefter after a Super Bowl. So go back and look through the archives of Adam Schefter's tweets. It's actually Adam Schefter who suggested that Julian Edelman was a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And after that, it went crazy. We're not going to break down whether or not Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer because the answer is no, he's not. Like Torrey Holt's not in the Hall of Fame. Reggie Wayne's not in the Hall of Fame. I cannot make any argument close to why Julian Edelman should be in the Hall of Fame over those two. It's done. It's simple. It's easy. Michael Wilbon used to have a great quote about Hall of Fames in any sport. If you have to ask, the answer is no. 
You have to ask the answers no. And you can hear Giant fan right now screaming, what about Eli? Eliason? Guys, Eli Manning's going to the Hall of Fame. We can have a fun discussion about it. Tweet me at Tom Goss, T-O-M-G-O-Z-Z. Getting there with Goss on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to have it. Eli's in the Hall of Fame. Man of the Year, Super Bowl. Very nice relationship with the media. He's going to the Hall of Fame. What I'm more fascinated by is this now, though. You know the Pro Football Hall of Fame is the best Hall of Fame discussion to have now when it comes to fans? I love lists. I love greats. All that stuff. That's the basis. That's why sports talk radio. That's why podcasts have been built to have these fun discussions. They truly are fun. What would this player do in that era? How would they stack up? If you had to give me your top 10 favorite players, and again, favorite and best are two different lists, but both of those can be equally fun when you're having fun uh, times with your friends and beers and everything else. Love those type of discussions. Bring them to me. Again, social media is the best spot to do them. But I bring up that the Pro Football Hall of Fame is the best to have those debates with because no other Hall of Fame can really do them anymore. The individual Hall of Fames, when we're talking about athletes, tennis, boxing, the UFC, if they've won a championship, and you probably know their name, they're probably a Hall of Famer. Usually how it goes, if they win a major or something like that, they're going to go to the Hall of Fame because you've hit the highest level of that sport. And so few percentage-wise that people can win those events and win those championships, that elite company puts you in the Hall of Fame. So the individual Hall of Fames, they're pretty easy to figure out. Hockey, when it comes to the Hockey Hall of Fame, it actually does a pretty good job. The criticism they face is sometimes they feel like it doesn't present more leagues. They just focus too much on the NHL. If that's the biggest criticism of the Hockey Hall of Fame, you guys are doing a fine job. Less than 300 people, I believe, have actually been talking to the Hockey Hall of Fame. They do a nice job, but... How many could you really name off the top of your head who are in the Hall of Fame? 25%, 50 75 It all depends on how big of a hockey fan you are. They do a fine job. Remember, Basketball's Hall of Fame is the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, the College Basketball Hall of Fame, the High School Basketball Hall of Fame. Better way to phrase it, the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Springfield, Massachusetts, it's everybody. And what I don't like about the Basketball Hall of Fame, besides that wide net that it casts, it is truly one of the biggest mysteries in sports. Who votes for the Basketball Hall of Fame? Uh, Committees? Yeah. Contributors? Who are the contributors? Where do they represent? How many votes do you need? How do you get in? Who's on the... It is truly one of the biggest mysteries in sports. So this lack of transparency of how you get in, who gets in, what's the criteria, hurts the Basketball Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame for decades was the most fun arguments to have because you had the stats to lean on. You had the discussion between the impact of the team, the World Series, the leader. The Baseball Hall of Fame was fun, especially in the early days of sports talk radio about who gets in, who gets out. Look, we always know about Pete Rose, and that's one of the go-to sports topics of all time. Look at that on our YouTube channel. Make sure, if you're listening to our audio side, flip over to YouTube at some point today. Subscribe, rate, review, leave a comment underneath. There's a nice picture with my guy, Pete Rose. Man, happy 80th birthday to Pete Rose. It's a fun event to cover with him. An hour conversation, bounce the first pitch. Anyways, look, Pete Rose... 80 years old, he's not in the Hall of Fame. That's a whole discussion. You could probably do a whole podcast on. But the problem with the Baseball Hall of Fame has now come to this. It's not actually rational thinking anymore. right? We can't have a real, real discussion that Harold Baines is a better baseball player than Barry Bonds. Nobody's going to do that. We can't have a real discussion that Mike Mussina is better than Roger Clemens. The PED era, you could argue whether or not the integrity of baseball happened. I would always be a guy who votes them in because they didn't actually pop positive. 
on the field to face the suspension from Major League Baseball, however you want to phrase it. We just can't do this anymore. Like, it's irrational thinking. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. So if you really hate the PED era, the guy who was the commissioner of baseball is in the Hall of Fame. Ivan Rodriguez's nickname was Pudge because he was fat. The first year they started actually testing, he lost 30 pounds. He's in-juiced. So the rationality of the Baseball Hall of Fame is left. So what does that leave us with? That leaves us with the Professional Football Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And the debates are great. I just brought up Eli Manning. That's a fun polarizing discussion. Julian Edelman's not going to get in, but people really got heated about the Edelman thing. Art Monk for my Syracuse people who are listening. How long did it take Art Monk to get in the Hall of Fame? How about guys like Randy Moss and T.O.? And we got a lot of fun. Frank Gore is going to be an interesting discussion when that pops up. Frank Gore seems to be a Hall of Famer, but some people look at, were you great for a small window? Talking about guys like Gail Sayers and Terrell Davis. Terrell Rivas seems to be a lock for the Hall of Fame, but statistically his numbers aren't as good, but he was great at a specific period in time. I love the Pro Football Hall of Fame discussion. I think it's great. It is now past baseball, and that's what it is. Not so much about Julian Edelman directly, not so much about his Hall of Fame candidacy, but because the Pro Football Hall of Fame has jumped leaps and bounds before any other Hall of Fame in North America for how fun the discussions can be with fans and everybody else who follows the sport. Good decisions, bad decisions for baseball in 2021. Let's start with this. The good stuff. The good stuff is that baseball has done a tremendous job of actually getting its product in front of fans. And what I mean by that, I can hear some people saying, guys, what in the world are you talking about? Trust me on this. Download the MLB app. If you get the MLB app and you sign up for MLB TV, you get all the games you want. Chromecast it. I love Chromecast. That's how we do it here. We always Chromecast stuff off our phone. You hit the button, boom, it's on your TV. Your TV basically has become a monitor. I'm a member of MLB TV, so I can... Watch my O's. Shout out to Kevin Brown. If you haven't heard that interview, you can go back and watch that interview. Listen to it on our Spotify and Apple side as well. So you can watch all those games. Get the updates on your phone. Get all these broadcasts. Chromecast it. So if you're a fan of the Seattle Mariners, the Cleveland Indians, the Cincinnati Rats, whoever, your out-of-market stuff is easy to access on your phone. They don't get enough credit for that. Look, the NFL is the NFL red zone, and people love the red zone. But every year, right around the next two to three months, we'll start Googling how we can get the red zone with being a subscription to YouTube TV or Roku or Spectrum. I get confused every year of, can I just buy the red zone, please? Can I just do that? How about the NBA? Uh, look, the NBA does a nice job of putting their marquee games on TNT or ESPN. So unless you're, like, you're a diehard Orlando Magic fan or you absolutely are loving the Suns or the Jazz, who are having really good seasons, I don't know if... NBA TV is really what you want to buy anyways, and it's pretty expensive. Like the price gets up there, and it's really for diehard fans of those teams out of market. Just not that great. Baseball does a great job with that, and they don't get enough credit for that constantly year after year. Baseball doesn't do enough to market their players. Baseball doesn't get it when it comes to technology. They're lapping other leagues when it comes to this stuff, but they're not getting credit for it. And they've tried to push these players. They got some guys with personalities, man. Trevor Bauer's a nut job, but he's hilarious and funny and annoying. He's polarizing. People are talking about him. Fernando Tatis Jr., my goodness, how many more specials do we need on ESPN, especially the E60 about Tatis? His name is out there. Bryce Harper, he's in Philadelphia. He's doing his thing. The Philadelphia Phillies are playing really well. Enough with this market. And Francisco Lindor, who had a great personality all-star games in New York now. Enough with this stuff. If we keep going back to these tired storylines, you're going to continue to believe them. Baseball is doing their best. Now, with that being said, 
we got to cut it out with the runner on second base. I couldn't believe that. I, I will fully admit there was a Yankee Blue Jay game the other day where I think Judge, it was Judge who went to second base, and I heard Susan, I actually was listening to 104.5, the team, and Susan Walden uh, had said that Judge was on second base. And I'm like, wait, why? Did I admit oh, something wrong? Oh, we're doing that rule, huh? Oh, my God. Is it like slow-pitch softball? It's not as exciting. It's not. It's terrible. You're not earning it. That's all it is. Earn it. Like, I've officially, because of Major League Baseball, flipped my mindset when it comes to all overtime rules in all sports. One runner on second base has made me change everything. Earn it. You've had four quarters in football or basketball to earn it. I'm not for the Elam ending, but look, sudden death you can't do in basketball. Hockey can do it. Played out. Next one wins. Forget about these three on threes, four on four. Next one wins. Football, next one wins. Don't give me this nonsense about, oh, you can't kick a field goal. You can't do it. No, no. Next point wins. Baseball, come on. Earn it. Earn it. Put the runner on second base. Hit a double. Stop. It is ruining the sport that you're making it easier for what? The media member to go home quicker. I know my guy, Seth Everett, who does a great job covering baseball. He's done it forever. Doing a lot of nice stuff for Barrett Sports Media. Jason Barrett owes me something, by the way. I've plugged him like three times on some of these episodes. I've seen the stats that like 46% of the ball is not in play and everything else. Look, get better then. Like the shift and everything else, please, baseball, knock it off. Get the runner off second base and go back to earning it. So the positive, you're doing a nice job sprinting your sport, making it easy access for fans. The negative, you're making it easier for the game to be over. Imagine that. Hey, we want our product, our movie, our TV show to be done as soon as possible. That doesn't sound like you're really supporting your product when you want to find ways in which to make sure it ends. There's Bobby Lashley on the screen now leading off the WrestleMania card. Two-night event. I told you last week I love the two-night thing. Still definitely do. Watch the whole thing. My take on WrestleMania this year? I liked it a lot. 2020's WrestleMania will go down as the worst WrestleMania of all time. I know a lot of people want to defend the show because of the effort the wrestlers put into it. Ed, no crowd. You just went from an audience with like 20,000. You've seen audiences WrestleMania with 90,000. And you had nobody in 2020. It was the worst WrestleMania of all time. People go wild about that Undertaker-AJ Styles match. It was so overrated. I will stick by that. Taker, who's like 50-plus years old, beating a three-on-one because Gallows and Anderson. Stop it. The cinematic matches I can't get behind. I think they're too weird and bizarre. But this year's WrestleMania was good. I liked a lot of the matches. I love the crowd being back. The crowd was into a lot of stuff. We saw a ton of title changes. Sheamus wins the U.S. title. Apollo Crews wins the IC title. Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley winning the women's championships. Roman Reigns as a heel is so good. I'm telling you, John Cena kind of early 2000s was a heel with his rapper gimmick. Hulk Hogan went to the NWO. This stuff with Reigns as a heel worked. It's the best WrestleMania match in Roman Reigns' career. Because what we used to do, and if you don't follow wrestling, kind of think about it like this, the old school stuff. Bad guys get booed. Good guys get cheered. Pretty simple, right? But what happened somewhere along the line is that wrestling fan got a lot smarter or wanted to tell us how smart they were. And they just decided to cheer who they liked and boot who they didn't like. So John Cena kind of started it where the older wrestling fan didn't want to have cotton candy, basically, and be a child. So he used to constantly boo Cena. The new school wrestling fan hated Roman Reigns because he was the next guy and they just constantly booed him. Now that he's a heel, a bad guy, the boos got louder. It's great. And he went up against two really well, the term is over, baby faces, good guys, and Edge and Daniel Bryan, and it worked. That was good. The title changes were good. I liked it across the board. Thrilled with WrestleMania. I'm calling this a 
potential renaissance in pro wrestling. You know this, listen to the podcast. I love the 1990s pro wrestling, the Monday Night Wars and everything else. And now if you have Peacock, by the way, you can go back and watch a lot of this stuff and see why I loved it. Why can't we have a wrestling renaissance? Because without the crowd for a good 14 months, how badly do pro wrestling fans want to go back to these events? House shows used to be the shows and they're the events when they aren't on TV. But if you were somebody who used to love when wrestling would come to your town, aren't you going back to Raw, SmackDown, AEW? Wrestling fans might be more passionate than ever. And I want to get to something about the ratings. I'll do this in about two minutes because it actually has a connection to golf, which is bizarre. But I can't wait for this new era, whether it's the women like Ripley or Bel Air, Raquel Gonzalez, who had a great night on NXT. Adam Cole might be the next guy up. Some of the people they debuted. Omos, man, with AJ Styles, the big fella. Uh, the guy who came in for Apollo Crews, I think it was Dabo Cotto. He might, Aziz, whatever his name's going to be. They're moving that around. Some new names, some new faces, some super athletes. Loved WrestleMania. Is it a top five WrestleMania of all time? No. But when you can stack it up against last year's and see how much better it was in the 2020 because of what happened with COVID-19, I'm so excited to see where the future, both of the WWE and AEW, is going to go for the next year to three years. I told you I was going to mention ratings and the Masters and my gambling picks here. Austin Carps, the guy on Twitter who talked about how it's the lowest rated, the least watched Masters since 1993. Hideki Matsuyama wins it. Actually, it was a fun finish. I tell you. Uh, watching people choke in golf, I don't care what age I am, 31 now, whether I was 21, maybe when I'm 51, that's the most entertaining golf. I feel like a bad person saying that, right? Like, oh, I want failure. It is so entertaining to see a guy have a lead at a major and choke it away because it really humanizes the golfer because we've all been there. Like, I stink at golf. I probably got to play more. I have no time to play. Working the afternoon drive the last five years, the worst hours for golf. Having a baby boy, I'm not going to be hitting the links. I'm sure my wife, it's going to be a long time before that happens again. I got a bachelor party maybe coming up in the future. I'll start smashing them. I'll probably be really into it. I don't even know if I want to be good at golf. But anyways, look, I love the chokes. I think it's fascinating. I think it's the ultimate human element. Great stuff. And stop focusing on the ratings. Guys, my God, how many times do I have to explain this to people? It is 2021. Look at your calendar. If you are going by the same ratings that were a big deal in the 90s and the 80s and the 1970s. What planet are you on? People stream. All right, what were the streaming numbers for the ratings for the Masters? Oh, you don't know. Uh, how many people watched it on replay? Maybe they had something going on. Oh, you don't know. That's the thing. Like, we can't ignore shows like Netflix and Hulu and YouTube channels and everything else to say, well, we don't know if they actually have an impact because we don't know their ratings. What world are we living in? I cut the cord last week. So now my rating doesn't count. I didn't watch the Masters. I did. People are watching less television. That doesn't mean people care less about the product. That's just not a correlation that works. I guarantee you the year after that and the year after that and the year after that, the ratings will continue to go on television because you're using one form to determine an audience. The world has evolved. Technology is happening. You can imagine like these podcasts and these YouTube numbers, someone being like, well, they actually don't count. What do you mean they don't count? Well, we're not using the 1990 numbers. That'd be irrational. Insane. So good for Matsuyama. I thought it was a fun finish. Yes, the Tiger element wasn't there. And I know the 2020 Masters were played in November. But ignore these television things. Enough. Stop trying to be a smart guy and write your long thesis statement about how sports are done. Last thing here, I got one pick for the week. 
I got a Friday night matchup between the Reds and the Indians. 7-10 first pitch Friday. I'm looking for it over under 8. Hit me with 8 if I can get that. Because going into this, the Cincinnati Reds are leading the National League in runs scored. They're in first place in the NL Central. The Cleveland Indians are in first place in the AL Central. They have the least amount of runs scored in the AL. What? Now, look, it might be because of the number of games played and everything else. The Indians were 6-4 and four at the time of this taping. But go look at the stats. The Indians had 42 runs scored. And they're a top team in the AL Central. The Reds have 30 more runs. Oh, and by the way, on the mound for the Reds, Jeff Hoffman. Shout out to the Capital Region. He will be on the mound for that. There is no other team that has less runs than the Cleveland Indians. And they are tied with the Royals at top first place. I love it. Give me over eight for Reds, Indians. Sorry, Jeff Hoffman. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game in that one. That's the game I'm looking for. And there it is. Guys on the go. Seven stories again for you in less than 30 minutes. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you guys again next week.